0: Find their written and premium audio content at UTHDynasty.com. Playing it safe in Dynasty means you're going to lose.
1: Stop talking about it, man. Let's get this going right now.
0: <laughs> Welcome to Under the Helmet. Look at some long-term player value in fantasy football. I got Katie Flower here. I am Chad Parsons of UTHDynasty.com. We continue our rookie flashback series we've been going through starting back in 2013 in the Wayback Machine. We are up to 2017, which is really one of the calling card classes when you talk about some core assets that we are still enjoying on our teams that are in prime windows uh, of production. So this is one where you look back at some of the profiles and it was a, a really good one. When you look at the, the depth of the first round, we're going to go position by position. Because there are so many lessons to be learned, and we're now a few weeks into this series, and ultimately we'll culminate in 2022, right around the NFL draft time. So, so Katie, kick us off as you have done in previous weeks, because this is a highly valuable class, um, like I said, for early impact, but as well as as seeing it through now, rookie contracts and, and beyond that for for these players.
1: Yes, uh, so. We've said it before, and I know other fantasy analysts say it also, but the strength of a rookie class usually tends, if it's a running back and quarterback heavy draft, then it's usually considered a very good year. And that's what we had this year. Everybody was buzzing with excitement. Leonard Fournette was the Debbie Stud coming out of college, out of LSU, big back that can catch. He went first, uh, first round, fourth overall to Jacksonville. And then Christian McCaffrey, highly productive, played at Stanford. Uh, Again, a little bit undersized, but he played both ways. He was, you know, a, a run up the middle, but very, very natural hands catcher. He went first round, eighth overall to Carolina. Then we had a a couple of second rounders that were exciting. Dalvin Cook out of FSU, 41st overall to Minnesota. Joe Mixon out of Oklahoma, second round, 48th overall. Then it started getting into the territory of speculation and could they do it? A lot of third rounders, Alvin Kamara, Kareem Hunt, Deontay Foreman, who was a one-hit wonder at Texas. Would he have any staying power? James Conner had a good profile coming out and – And then we had some deeper sleepers, guys like Marlon Mack in the fourth round, Wayne Gallman in the fourth round, Jamal Williams in the fourth round. Even Joe Williams had a lot of buzz because of his landing spot in San Francisco. Jeremy McNichols, uh, Aaron Jones. I know that we didn't like his profile all that much, but for a fifth round NFL pick, And landing in Green Bay, a lot of people were excited and buzzed about him, and he was fairly cheap in rookie drafts. We'll talk about the rookie position in a little bit, but uh, rounding it out with guys like Chris Carson, who seventh round, late round pick to Seattle, had some buzz early and throughout his fantasy career.
0: Yeah. uh, I mean, uh, just the sheer volume of hits, You know, guys that have been even multi-year running back ones. I mean, my tally for that is 10 guys in one class that we're not done tabulating. We're not done counting. And we've got 10 guys that have been running back ones, not many that were running back twos and kind of topped out there like Marlon Mack, uh, Tariq Cohen are the couple that uh, really didn't get all the way home in the top 12 for a particular season. But just mammoth production when we had two first rounders, two first rounders, which would can be considered generally as oh they're gonna hit, and then beyond that day two we had some some ancillary guys on day three, like you mentioned with Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler was in this class i mean uh you know you mentioned Chris Carson as well, so uh, here's what I remember. I remember a lot of people were because McCaffrey broke out to such a mammoth level in year two. I remember that Dalvin Cook was pretty much an instant hit. Alvin Kamara as well. Uh, Kareem Hunt was actually the first guy that I remember getting a ton of buzz and being considered like a first round startup draft guy of just taking that job uh, there in Kansas City and, and running with it right away on one of those high flying teams and being the big benefactor there of a good enough back in a great system. But I remember... The and I don't really remember specifically, but shide, uh, siding away from Christian McCaffrey where he could have gone anywhere from say three, but I still remember some drafts where he was five or six. And it was almost like a, oh, I guess I'll take Christian McCaffrey. And I uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, it was really the subsize thing, right? I mean the fact that he was only two hundred and two pounds. And I mean, dare I say? He didn't look like you know, one of those elite running backs that we typically see. So that means... But he was a guy that did everything in college. I mean, 94% rushing score, 100% receiving score, and he was athletic and certainly athletic enough for his size. And you put all that together, and the fact that he went top 10 in the NFL draft, and that should have been... Honestly, a beacon like like if I were going back today, and this is independent of results, but you draft Leonard Fournette, you draft Christian McCaffrey for sure over Corey Davis, and and you take running backs that go that high in the draft, you just take them, and if they don't cost one hundred one and one hundred two, and McCaffrey did not, that's when it becomes like oh well, you just take him in every single draft, based on profile and pedigree.
1: Yes, I think it was the undersized and. Uh, that was that was the one regret that I had was taking guys like Mike Williams and Corey Davis over Christian McCaffrey. You got Leonard Fournette who was pretty much going at the one hundred and one unless yeah. it overflex, and then Joe Mix and Christian McCaffrey were in that three three to five range, and sometimes they fell a little bit more. Dalvin Cook was an interesting; he was another one that the. UTH profile did not like. We loved Alvin Kamara. I remember that, and he was a steal late in the first, early in the second. So if you had the 101 and you got Leonard Fournette, and then at the 201 you got Alvin Kamara, man, you were <laughs> right. gas. But the the other thing that I've learned about this class in particular, if you've got two guys in the first round of the NFL draft, and then another handful in round two, and a big handful in round three the chances are that there will be guys like Aaron Jones and Chris Carson and Austin Eckler that are values really late because it's just so much talent in the class. Not everybody needed a running back, and they wouldn't necessarily get in, in a regular normal class. They might have been up higher, but they fell because everybody already got theirs in the first three or four rounds.
0: Yeah, I mean, there were just the sheer volume of running backs drafted in this one. We typically don't see this high a number. I mean, I'm showing 26 running backs got drafted, I mean, which is a very high number. And I mean, in the top 150 or so, you're still at like 15 or 16. So that's a lot, like you said. I mean, that's half the NFL taking a shot on a guy and, and good profiles as well. So many of them were top 10 to top 15% in the model scoring. Um, and yeah, that's what I, I remember... Here's what I remember with rookie draft scheduling, uh, planning in in this one, which is there was a big six, if you will, and I, you know, and that ended with Mike Williams or McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook or whoever kind of got to that five six zone in your particular draft because there was ambiguity between three and six. But I remember that it was just it was Alvin Kamara at seven, like if you want to be super aggressive, get to seven. And as you said, there were times we had plenty of stories of guys that would get him at 12 or 201 or. You had so many good tight ends in this class as well. You had other players of pedigree and import, so it wasn't a given that that Kamara was going to be taken at seven, eight, nine, and so. Uh, but but Kamara was the one of this could be an absolute explosion. And honestly, and uh, how I'm trying, he's been the most productive guy uh, of all these big, heavy hitter, uh, absolutely atomic bombs for fantasy production and dynasty impact here that Kamara has been the one he was drafted the latest i still remember that it was you know he didn't quite have the track record you know at least the the name cachet of the top four guys of the class like fournette mccaffrey cook and mixon coming out and just for two three years straight we were talking about them for the nfl future but the fact that it went he went to the saints it was a perfect fit but the reason his price tag was tepid was all these other big hitters, plus that Mark Ingram was still there, and at this point he was uh, producing after a sluggish start there with uh, with the Saints. So it was a you know what could he be? Could he be Darren Sproles? Plus plus was sort of the the approach there, and it ended up being obviously far exceeding those expectations.
1: Well, the other thing, and I want to make sure to mention this because I remember it very clearly. He played at Tennessee. He transferred from Alabama. So he was in that Alabama backfield with guys like Derrick Henry and even Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram was there at the same time. So he ended up transferring to Tennessee and then he stacked behind Jalen Hurd. Oh yeah. Jalen Hurd ended up being a nothing in the NFL. And it's because mainly because of injuries. He was a big guy. So his production, he had six hundred and ninety-eight. Uh, yards rushing, but an average of 6.5 as a sophomore with 291 yards. Receiving. He didn't have big
0: volume. He didn't have big he, volume either. He didn't
1: have big volume, but he had yeah. good numbers as he far as the tape, yeah. averages. He had yeah. good touchdown numbers. So, total his college career, two seasons, sophomore and junior year at Tennessee, 1,294 yards as an average of 6.2 with 16 touchdowns. 74 receptions, 683 yards at average of 9.2 with seven more touchdowns. So we looked at him, even though he wasn't super productive, he was productive enough. And his size-speed combination with those hands, we, as far as under the helmet, were on him more than most others. And again, he was the steal of the late first, early second round. And that's why a lot of people weren't – Necessarily pumping him up like we were. It's because of the college well, production, and like you said, Mark Ingram was still at New Orleans, and would his landing spot didn't look optimal. All of those things.
0: Well, let's let's be fair too. This was a class where it was fish in a barrel, and if you had a strong take, let, let's just if we play this out, and and obviously Corey Davis compared to everybody else was one of those players. But in general, like let's say Alvin Kamara didn't work out let's say it did not work out for him fantasy and NFL wise that the repercussions were you drafted him in a zone where you would have picked him ahead of Juju Smith Schuster or ahead of Evan Ingram or Kareem Hunt or uh, all those, you know, they had those first round tight ends in there as well. So that was a zone where you got a lot of good slash great production. And so if one of these guys, if you took John Ross in that zone, for example, or again, Corey Davis over, but and pretty much "quote unquote" everyone was doing it. But Corey Davis over McCaffrey or over Mixon or over Cook or Mike Williams, you know, again over Alvin Kamara. All these little things. There was a lot to lose in this class because there were so many massive hits that if you didn't get a hit, if you drafted in the first round or in the early second round and you didn't get results or massive production from your pick, then you missed out because most everyone did. And, and that's that's the highlighting thing of Kamara of was a relatively bold call because Juju Schuster was right there. Maybe you got both of them, you know, but uh, Kareem Hunt was almost a, oh, uh, you know, I, I got stuck, you know, at 201, 203, whatever it was. and but But that worked out in spades as well.
1: Yes. And I didn't really want to start talking about wide receivers yet, but that's fine to point out that, yeah, there were a lot of decisions to make. And I know so many times I unfortunately did take Corey Davis over Christian McCaffrey. And again, that's a lesson learned Uh, running backs with that kind of draft pedigree, but Corey Davis had the draft pedigree as well as as in the NFL. So
0: well, and I think, so yeah, not to, we'll get to wide receivers in a second, but to, but to finish out running back, I, I think one thing you said, which is just follow the board. And it's not that we're saying this, this was a weak, it certainly was a strong class at tight end. Uh, and we, we aren't saying it was weak at, at wide receiver because three guys went in the top 10, but running backs are the hammer throw. And we had two guys in the top 10. It's like you had to prioritize. Historically, you have to prioritize those guys. You just have to. And the fact that we had, again, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon in the top 50, giant, massive names. They were five star guys, if I believe. I mean, I have them at 99 scores on 247 composite. So that probably means they're five star. If they're not, they're the highest four stars uh, pretty much in the last 10 years. So, uh, and Alvin Kamara, like you said, that Alabama pedigree, and he was available in the later first round. You have to. This is non negotiable stuff. And, and I think, you know, we're five years removed from that, getting. One round one running back is tough. We're seeing that. I mean, Brees Hall is no lock. And so I I think, you know, Jonathan Taylor didn't get it. Cam Akers didn't get it. J.K. Dobbins did not get that level of pedigree. And 2017, it was like, eh, you know, we there were drafts where McCaffrey faded down the board. It's like, you don't know what you got till it's gone, you know, as the as the song lyric goes, because you don't get a lot of classes where you get someone with that type of profile. Josh Jacobs got round one pedigree, but you know what? didn't have this level of profile so you can look at gift horse in the mouth sometimes and you know Dalvin Cook and, and Mixon had big time so those guys uh, you know this was definitely a class where where you say man if you had cracks at this and, and I remember it worked out again it worked out I remember having some picks that were in that three four five zone and being like oh I'll just trade back to seven I'll get Alvin Kamara now to be fair that probably wasn't the smart now it was bold. It was bold. I got tons of Camara. I won lots of leagues. It's worked out insanely well. But I think from a process standpoint, I mean, he was almost around later than Dalvin Cook. And I think that is risky. You know, I'm not sure I could go back and look at what I got. But moving from four to seven or something, and that was the reason I was doing it. Again, it worked out. But I do think that there was risk in, in executing that plan.
1: Oh, yeah. And just one more thing as far as I've mentioned on the podcast millions of times, if not a million and one, grow your or, your running backs organically. This was a great class. If you play Debbie or if you listen to our Debbie podcast, you can usually tell which classes are going to be strong at the running back position next year. 2023 is projected to be a strong running back class. So if you do a startup draft, The year before, knowing that that next year's class is a strong running back profile class and you trade back and do all the UTH things in a startup draft to trade back and get extra first round picks from the next year. That's the perfect storm as far as building your core in your startup draft, getting those extra first round picks and then taking the lion's share of running backs. All of a sudden, year two, you're a contender.
0: Yeah. And, and just to highlight one thing from like those day three uh, of running backs is first of all, Samaj P. Ryan, uh, his receiving score was minimal. And now, and now I, I remember the dialogue, at least for myself, being well, Joe Mixon was the receiving centric guy. They were in the backfield at the same time at Oklahoma. So that was a little storyboardish in terms of trying to explain it away. Now, P. Ryan didn't work out uh, in the NFL almost immediately. But, uh, but that he had a glaring weakness. And you typically want to have some pause with a glaring weakness like that. And then other day three guys, it's interesting because the guys with the best profiles, when you look at two-way production and enough size, Jamal Williams on that list uh, that, that you got to meet, you know, you'll remember that always from the Senior Bowl, Marlon Mack, uh, he, he had checked a lot of boxes, um, but, and Aaron Jones as well. And here's the other th- thing that I think to learn, and we're coming around on this, that you know, running backs, it's not ideal. So this isn't is our, is our 1.0 search. But a running back that's Aaron Jones is 208 pounds, 210, 212. Like that's uh, Dalvin Cook was 211. It's, a, it's big enough. It's not ideal. We'd love 220, 225 and have all the requisite athletic trades and two-way production. Those are the oracles. But if you're a shade down, if Aaron Jones is costing a fraction of that, he had a good enough athleticism score. He was a two-way producer at UTEP. So there was a lot of positive there. And one thing I remember as I got tractor beamed on Jeremy McNichols, that he had a better profile and I preferred what he had to the other guys I mentioned. So the, just having more picks, like you said, it's a good class. There's a bunch of guys that are, are strong prospects, especially from the day three bucket that are probably around three, four, five rookie picks to have just more of those because you're not going to have three, four, five guys that have profiles of that level in every class. So enjoy it, take it, and you know this might have been a year where, eh, you know, make sure you are getting those upside running backs because a lot of the ones I mentioned to some level, and McNichols was the notable miss there. Flamed out, came back. You know, I w- I would argue the last two years he's been more relevant than anything in the first two three years of his career, almost venturing all the way out of the NFL entirely, but having those round three plus shots on quality profiles that are top 10, 15% of the model and pretty much check the boxes, don't be quite so picky with the, they have to be 220 pounds or a BMI of 32 or whatever you know little monikers you're putting on it that, oh, they have to have it because Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, uh, Marlon Mack, uh, all these guys were definitely good enough for sleeper consideration. and Ultimately, a lot of them did pan out to some degree.
1: Yeah, there's a whole handful. You said that there were 10 that ended up being studs and that's true. But then there were Eight or nine guys in that middle, guys like Deontay Foreman, who in a moment in time was an injury away type running back. And if you needed him for a bye week or in a pinch, he's come through for you. Jamal Williams, Marlon Mack, Wayne Gallman, not flashy by any means, but he had some decent games in relief of an injured Saquon Barkley. Uh, James Conner had a really great year one moment in time and his value, you could have probably got a first round pick for him when he was the running back at Pittsburgh. So,
0: well, C- Connor is why we say ignore situation, right? That, that yeah. opportunity finds yourself. And it's hard to predict situations like Le'Veon Bell when Connor himself were drafted. But I remember people lamenting, oh, I drafted James Connor at 210. And it's like you sat there for the first year. Le'Veon Bell's a, a monster, barely leaving the field. And sure enough, the next year was the Le'Veon Bell watch year, and Connor ended up playing the entire thing, and we know how the story goes from there. And Connor is, you know, been been absolutely viable and a vibrant player for four straight years after a, basically a rookie redshirt. I do have to shout out Austin Eckler because yeah. he is one that again, tough to find this profile, a small schooler, and you know, you can almost do the annual search for Austin Eckler, and frankly, there's not even a guy you can squint and say is even close on an annual basis, but. What I mean, he comes out of Western State. I mean, offhand, I don't think I think ninety nine percent of listeners couldn't even tell you the state Western State is in. <laughs> so I mean, we're talking a guy one hundred percent rushing score. I think it's ninety seven percent receiving score. He tested unbelievably at one hundred ninety five pounds. This guy was just an absolute athletic freak and stud, and he did everything you wanted him to do. And what he did is come in. Into the NFL, I think he was top 50 in adjusted points per game year one. Year one as an undrafted, where is this guy from player? And within two years, he was a running back one. And we know for three straight years now, he's been an unquestioned. You start that guy, he's gotten a second contract and a good one from the Chargers. What a story for Austin Eckler. And he's outproduced career wise, Aaron Jones, Kareem Hunt, who has fallen off after the first couple of years, outproduced Joe Mixon in his career when you look at uh top twelve seasons um eckler has been an absolute monster, and this is within a a historically great running back class
1: yeah absolutely um another guy that just because of the depth at the position ended up
0: did he even lost. do you, do you remember did he get- wh- what was his story undrafted in in um in drafts when do you recall him being actively picked it up picked up was it during the the training, not training camp, but it was during the preseason or during the season itself in year one?
1: During the season itself. Well, Melvin Gordon was there. So everybody thought, okay, he's the lead back. But Eckler carved out a role. I would say it was in the middle of year two, early year three, when he started to finally get
0: some 100% rostered. Respect. Yeah. Okay. And get, get some redraft love probably as well. Yeah. Okay. So we've already alluded to it. Corey Davis is that massive <laughs> player at wide receiver that... I still, can you explain like like what's your big takeaway from where we sit and why it ultimately did not pan out?
1: Well, let's let's take a look at that wide receiver class sure. first. I want to do the rundown. So yep. Corey Davis, small school guy, very productive in college, went fifth overall to Tennessee in the first round. Mike Williams, who was a Clemson player, who had a bad neck injury, Big Debbie Sweetheart went seventh overall to the Chargers. I liked Mike Williams better than Corey Davis. You like Corey Davis better than Mike Williams. I know there was a lot of people that were back and forth between the two. And as it turned out, you could you could get Mike Williams for much less expensive, uh, much less risk investment somewhere in the mid-first. Corey Davis was going 101 as many times as Leonard Fournette, um, and 102, if not in a non-superflex format. So then you also had John Ross, the speedster thrown into the mix still at 4.22, the fastest man at the NFL combine ninth overall to Cincinnati, but he was always getting hurt in college and, uh, just continued on in his NFL career. Then we had a handful of second rounders. Zay Jones, we saw him at the senior bowl. He had nice soft hands, big wingspan, looked the part, and he went to Buffalo in the early second round. Curtis Samuel, positional convert, played running back at Ohio State, switched over to wide receiver and was drafted with Carolina. We knew he wasn't going to be playing running back with Christian McCaffrey there, um, more than likely. Juju Smith-Schuster, second round pick late in the second to Pittsburgh and then Cooper cup. We loved him at the senior bowl. The big question on him. He was highly productive in college. We called him Kleenex hands at the senior bowl. He caught everything. He got separation in and he didn't look like super fast, but he was always getting open. And that's still what he does today. We just weren't sure at the time, what kind of role he would carve out in the NFL. Taywan Taylor, Ardarius Stewart, Carlos Henderson, and Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Chad Williams, Amara Darbo. We saw him at the Senior Bowl. Not very impressed, but there was a whole bunch of third-round wide receivers, and then it just kept going on and on. You had, um, I mentioned Kenny Galladay already. Dede Westbrook for a time was uh, an asset that people were looking at. Katie Cannon out of Baylor. He didn't even Mm -hmm. get drafted, but yet he was still going in the second round of a lot of rookie drafts, even with all of the guys that did get drafted, which looking back is insane. I don't like Baylor receivers. I don't like Baylor players, to be honest. I don't like their offense. they they, They do what they can to win in college, but they really don't prep their guys at all for the NFL. Some teams are better at actually teaching and, and getting the players more ready for the NFL. But Baylor is not one of those programs.
0: Yeah. For, for Corey Davis, I, I think back to the fact that it was the small school. Does he translate? And then he also, um, if memory serves, did he, wor- did he work out? I believe. I, don't, he, I, don't think he, I believe he I did not because I have nothing other than a 40 time. And I believe that was a projection. Um, right. and I wasn't yeah, like, I think he and, was
1: coming off an injury and, right. and, and, so and back didn't.
0: then and back then I wasn't doing max speeds and I, I'd be curious, I should go back and look at Western Michigan Corey Davis tape to see if I could get some max speeds on him because I have met four four five and he really doesn't strike like when watching him in the NFL. Now again, that doesn't mean he was gonna be a hit or a miss if he ran four five five or something. But the fact that it was well. He went in the top five of the draft, so you know, obviously they're not bu- bugged by the the small school stuff and the competition level. Obviously, he was insanely productive uh, there at Western Michigan. But frankly, if you're going to be on the NFL radar, even in the first three, four rounds, you should be. So, I mean, again, he was one that just absolutely dominated for four straight years, and then you get here and he's a top five pick without working out. So. Um, but that's the one that really hurts. Like you said, I mean, sometimes going 101, 102 at worst generally. And that's, I mean, you missed out on so much. Yeah. Um, and you, and you mentioned, I mean, Mike Williams has been tepid John Ross, even less tepid. And so that's what makes it worse, right? You got three guys in the top 10 for a wide receiver position that it's been helter skelter. I mean, Corey Davis did end up having a late top 30 ish season, but it looks like that might be his career peak. Mike Williams just got a new contract I, I don't know about you, Katie. Just to mix in one news item: twenty million a year for a guy that's basically had one season. I mean, if we're looking at this fantasy-wise, one season in the top twenty-four, and he's barely in there, and yet that gets you three for thirty <laughs> to be the number two receiver behind Keenan Allen on an offense. Wow! Well, like,
1: <laughs> right, but let's look at Corey Davis and Mike Williams again. Yeah. The, yeah. there was a lot of people that were on one one side or the other. Uh, Mike Williams cost you a lot less than Corey Davis. In fact, if you didn't have the one Oh two, you at least didn't have to pick Corey Davis over Christian McCaffrey and, and lose out big that way with Mike Williams in the five, six, seven slot in rookie drafts. He was the arbitrage, but they're almost identical. Uh, 65 games is what Corey Davis has played 72 for Mike Williams, 11% of the time. Corey Davis has been in the top five, 7% of the time, Mike Williams. 15% of the time, Corey Davis has been in the top 12 in in weeks, fantasy weeks. And 14% of the time, Mike Williams. So they're almost identical there. Yeah. 25% of the time, 25% of the time, Corey Davis has been a wide receiver too. That's not very freaking good. And Mike Williams, 28%. So both of them are almost identical in what they've produced or lack thereof, but at and least Jonah Williams is
0: 106 or so, which, which got you beyond a lot of those running backs, like you right.
1: Said. So, at least you didn't have to make the mistake of forgoing a Dalvin Cook or a Christian McCaffrey. And
0: no one was drafting Kamara over Mike Williams just for, for the setting the record. Right. I, like no, I said, 107 absolutely. was the earliest Kamara would go,
1: right. And, and so, at the end of the day, they're both uh, there is not a wide receiver in this class, not even Cooper Cup. Because it took Cooper Cup five years. He's finally got the quarterback that has unlocked him. But you can't really even call him a hit. Like, he's been a decent wide receiver, too, for his career – and he was a great cost. He was going mid to late second in rookie draft, so he was a steal. But Chris Godwin was also a steal in in the late to mid seconds. But even Chris Godwin, 39% of the time, 39% of the time, he's been a wide receiver too. That's not even well, half God, the time. Well,
0: Godwin was a slow starter. I mean, he right. he wasn't even in the top 36 in year 1 or year 2. And exactly. year 1 was almost invisible. So it's a great reminder that it, I mean, these Jamar Chase type stories where it's just like, or Odell Beckham, where it's like, oh, instantly, okay, they're just in my lineup now. Like that is very, very uncommon. And it's far more common at the running back position. And I love what you said at the top, which is running backs, and if you have super flex quarterbacks, define how good the class is going in, how good you probably think they are coming out, you know, at least right away. Because what's your patience factor? Because Cooper Cup, yes, he was he was good, good and viable. But not, you know, this last year, and he, was, he had another season that was inside the top 10. It took till year three. And he was, he was good, but not great. There were plenty of people when Matt Stafford came in that, oh, the guy to get is Robert Woods. It was still 12 months ago, not clarified of like, oh, Cooper Cup's going to be top five. This is going to be the most unbelievable thing ever. So, I just, just a reminder that you can remember things differently because of the recency uh, of where we are. And let's not forget the guy that came in and was instantly productive was Juju Schmidt Schuster. That was the guy his first two years in the league boom, boom, right there with, with Antonio Brown in, in Pittsburgh. And obviously, the last three years, far less ideal, but he was the instant hit that. Do you remember Juju, how high he got in startup drafts, like at his peak? He
1: was first round. He was first late round. first, early second. He got that high. Yeah. Was it
0: after year one or did it take year two, which was a little bit It better? was
1: year two before okay. he started going that high. Wow. But even
0: still, yeah. to
1: anoint somebody, and you look at Juju, even at, he's played 63 games, he's had 10% where he's been in the top five, 19% as a uh, top 12, and yeah. only 43% As a wide receiver, too. And
0: how many of those are centered on the first two years and not the last three?
1: Exactly. And so the whole point with wide receiver, we've said this before. I'm sure we'll say it again, (laughs) but wide receivers are a dime a dozen, and especially in rookie drafts. And this is going to speak well when we finally get to 2022 and we look at the NFL combine results and we look at all the wide receivers. And by the time we do our mock draft, it'll be a week before the actual NFL draft. but the whole point is this year's class is looking like it's going to be deep at wide receiver. So rather than pony up and move up yeah. to get your I need guy. The, I
0: need the top guy.
1: Yeah. You don't necessarily need the top guy and you you'd almost be better off trading for somebody that's in year three that hasn't, that has been on the edge of, of production yeah. and looks like they're about to explode with their situation You'd almost be better off trading those. You get free
0: time. You get free time, right? Because exactly. the wide receivers, year two, year three are kind of those peak zones for big time upticks. It's not usually year one. So if you're if you're sunk in cost year one on your roster and you're paying 105, let's say, then and you still don't have the better odds of, like you said, that big uptick and breakout. So if you get year two and you're like, well, I got one oh I traded one oh five for this wide receiver. Who already avoided the bus tag and bus label in year one? Plus, I'm getting maybe a second back or just moving down in the first round. And they can take on the sunken cost of year one and the unlikelihood that they produce more than, you know, five to ten points per game and just hopefully they show signs, like this other guy already did.
1: And let's face it also, how often is a wide receiver or any position the wide receiver one from out the gate their entire (laughs) career without having a a buy low window, either because they did something stupid off the field or they got hurt and their value craters, or maybe they take a year off because of whatever. Um, There's just so many times where you have another buy low window and an opportunity to buy that player back for, even if it's the same price that you would have paid, it's still a win. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, well, that's a great segue to tight end because talk about having various windows. And like you said, it's not an upward trajectory instantly without these, these hiccups.
1: Right. So tight end, another good, strong class. Uh, we had a few guys at the top, three round one, OJ Howard, 19th overall to Tampa Bay, Evan Ingram, pass centric receiving very productive in college, um, 23rd overall in the first round to the Giants and David Joku to the Cleveland Browns 29th overall. We had a pair of second round picks that looked like they might have some potential juice in Gerald Everett and Adam Shaheen. Janu Smith was the lone third round pick. I know that Jake Buck coming off an injury was somebody that oh, we yeah. had on the radar. We liked his profile. He had decent size. Uh, he landed in Denver in the fifth round. George Kittle was not talked about at all, but he was in the fifth round. And you want to talk about somebody that lit things up? Um, it took him a couple years to get there, but and people, because of his late round and lack of pedigree, were selling him after his little breakout and selling him for fairly cheap. If if you bought George Kittle right as he was starting to break out, you got a bargain.
0: Because there yeah, was they, a lot of
1: doubters. There were a lot of doubters. The, the cream of this crop was OJ Howard, Evan Ingram, and David Joku.
0: Yeah. And they, I remember they were all going in that late first to early second, where that was your backstop. Okay. If I missed out on Gigi Smith Schuster, if I missed out on Alvin Kamara, like all these things, well, at 202 or something, you could still get. And I remember that being a, another line that there was the big six, then you had this zone from 107. To somewhere in the early second round, typically, and I remember a firm line of like, you know, all those guys that I, I I typically named that were viable. But you're like, ah, if I miss out on everybody, I can still take one of the last. It was almost an arbitrage thing. I can, you know, I preferred Evan Ingram of the three, but you can still get. One of those first round tight ends in the early second round in most of these drafts. Now, the results, you know, Evan Ingram came out hot. OJ Howard had uh, his best moment per game wise in year two. David Njoku, year two was the best, but it was very tepid compared to the others. These three, honestly, and now that they're getting to second contract or franchise tag mode, it looks like, you know, Howard's a free agent, Njoku going back to the Browns. Evan Ingram going to be, uh, in my opinion, a true free agent. So we're going to see what happens with him in his second life. But these three, it's almost been a worst-case scenario when you say first-round tight ends don't miss. Well, Njoku's basically been a miss. Howard has been marginally better than that. Ingram's been better than that, but still not living up to expectations or potential or whatever. These three in aggregate, especially if you missed out on that early pop of of uh, a Juju Schuster, or you, you took one of them because you quote unquote needed tight end, or you went for round round one pedigree over Alvin Kamara. Those are, that's another critical point that later first round, early second round, where you had some other glaring players. And if you went for the first round tight end, because the floor is so high and I'm fixing the position through five years, you really haven't got a ton of, I truly feel like I fixed it in the macro.
1: Yeah, Evan Ingram, the most productive, 18% of the time in the top five at the position. But if you look at what, like you said, the decision between him and Alvin Kamara, a lot of times Kamara became a stud. You could have traded Kamara for another decent running back plus Evan Ingram as a throw-in almost at times because Ingram has had up and down and injuries, but if, if he was startable, 37% 37% of the time he was a tight end one and 68% of the time, if you played in tight end two leagues, 68% of the time, he was a top 24 tight end scoring wise. So of the guys, Evan Ingram was rock solid and gave you a return on investment, but your return on investment on tight end, that doesn't necessarily mean a ton since it's a studs and duds type position. You got your cream of the crop, and then you got a whole bunch of guys. Like, Could you have gotten similar production from two or three guys streaming them instead of Evan Ingram? And the answer is yes. Whereas with Alvin Kamara or some of the other decisions, could you have replaced Alvin Kamara's production as a top five running back in so many weeks that he produced top five weeks? And the answer is no.
0: And uh, I didn't do this with the other positions, but pulled up my uh, my draft class strength chart, and this was the best. Now three first rounders, even though they were on the later side, still uh, this was the strongest aggregate for for day two and earlier aggregate class at tight end uh, when you pull together draft position and their profiles over the past decade. So back to 2007 through 2017. So this was the chance. This was the signal to say that if you have a quote unquote tight end need, but we always say need gets you in trouble. It gets you in trouble in rookie drafts. And this is one where, uh, like I said, the other, the other options in that zone were, were critical decisions to make, but this was on paper, the best class. And especially with 16 and 2015 looking so weak. Uh, with no first rounders, we some weekday two guys. Um, this was a breath of fresh air at the tight end position. That uh, again, it ended up being something that that turned into that. Oh, the wind changes directions, and oh, what do I uh, smell? I smell the, uh, uh, I, I smell the the livestock, you know, from the other side of town, or I smell the. The uh, the the trash trash uh, incinerary or whatever that uh, it's supposed to be the nice one from the park coming from the west. It's actually coming from the east when we when we look back a little bit.
1: Yeah, and guys like George Kittle, who were not even drafted in yeah. most rookie drafts, just totally off people's radar. And again, I think that when you have a top-heavy tight end class where three guys go in the NFL first round, and you got so many third-rounders and second-rounders, that guys like George Kittle can get lost, where they become a value late, late. And just if in a start-to-tight end, just if you've got a taxi squad especially, Just keep drafting them later in drafts because the cost isn't that high, and it's a premium position. If it's a premium position, lean towards the premium position as the tiebreaker.
0: The more the more I look back, this class really did disappoint because I'm looking at these profiles. There's so many good ones because I mean a good comparison to 2022 is that we don't just there's not the horses. The athletic horses. This class had so many guys that were 80%, 90% plus an athleticism score, hard to find at tight end. There's so many guys that are just there. Like uh, Jake Butt was an example of a guy that was just there. Michael Roberts, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys, but there were so many that were strong producers. George Kittle had a similar profile to guys like David Njoku and uh, guys that went very high in the draft. You got, we didn't even mention Gerald Everett it was, you know, you can't wait on these tight ends like three years on your roster. It just doesn't happen with that sort of patience level unless you've got 35, 40 man rosters. And Adam Sheheen, Adam Shaheen, great profile. He got drafted in the top 50. If you're drafted in the top 50 at tight end, that is considered excellent draft position. And if you have a good profile, uh, you know, Pat Fryermuth was one that, that was inside the top 50 or 45 this past year. That uh, John New Smith, I mean, all these are really good profiles. And yet you got, I mean, Shaheen, you got basically nothing. Gerald Everett, you got a little pop, but I mean, we're talking two, three, four years into your career. Johnnie Smith, same thing. It wasn't until year three, you did much of anything. And so Kittle producing early was one of those profiles, but as you said, certainly not one that people were prioritizing at all in drafting or right after your draft and on the waiver wire, it took a little bit of time. Bucky Hodges had a really good profile, a guy that I remember played wide receiver essentially at Virginia Tech, a supersized guy that did not work out in the NFL, barely got drafted, but he had another really strong profile. Kittle worked out. Robert Tanyan, it took him, what, four years and he had a massive breakout season. He had a good profile. It took time, though. And it basically, it became a glorified how many times did these guys change teams before they actually started producing? And yet we saw Najoku and Ingram and Howard. I mean, they might still be on original teams because first rounders and the market falls and oscillates around, stick with your round one tight end, but you've been soaking up that roster spot for five years and got a smattering of starts or predictable play out of them in in, in spots when Kittle has been the the one beacon of consistency. And yet there were a lot of profiles. I'm going to remember 2017 tight ends as being very disappointing because the potential with their profiles and pedigree, was so insanely high and it didn't work out. And I think the example is, I mean, the lesson is don't, I mean, you, number one, to be like viable and fancy, you have to be your team starter. And the other part is you can't just be your team starter. You probably have to have a pretty good quarterback. You probably can't have a dominant wide receiver core, or maybe even not even have a dominant wide receiver one. You got to fit in with targets somewhere in a strong degree. You got to get 80 plus targets, 90 plus targets to get on a highly productive radar. And you could be a good player and just situationally, system-wise, it doesn't work out that it's going to feed through tight end like that. So to me, tight and then it becomes fickle because you got to score some touchdowns. And Evan Ingram really never scored touchdowns. We'll see if that changes. But there's so many things, so many boxes you have to check to get all the way home and say, oh, look at me. I had a top six season. Look at me. I had a top 10 season. There's a lot of things involved with that and it goes beyond profile and pedigree.
1: And know it's hard for us to get right but the nfl gets it wrong so many times and look at look at guys that go in the first round they get more chances so that's why we always are harping on draft pedigree guys like oj howard will continue to get that chance whereas a guy in the fifth round he either makes it or breaks it a guy in the sixth round make it or break it and then you know, teams are looking for depth and a guy like George Kittle, who has ended up the tight end one out of this whole bunch, didn't even get drafted in rookie drafts. It's not that big of a surprise. Even the NFL gets it wrong so many times.
0: Yeah. And you look around the NFL. I mean, we've had, you know, Robert Tanyan is one example, and it seems like there's one, two guys um, every year that that come out of the relative ether with with a breakout season, whether it's touchdowns or attached to a strong quarterback, that we just have to Darren Waller type situations, you know, we just have to keep our eyes open. And and like you're saying, I mean, round one helps. Round one is better than day two and it's better than day three. But I uh, I don't know about you, Katie, but two tight end leagues, you know, I kind of wait till round three, four, five and say, is there someone with some pedigree with a profile? Maybe it's a depth chart that has some upward mobility. And that becomes a, a stash player in that zone to consider. But in start one, it almost seems like you can sit back in your typical leagues and just kind of wait and the waiver wire is pretty kind if you just keep your eyes open and and do the 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 churn baby churn uh, with with who is hot, who could you know be this year's may uh, Darren Waller of like what if they get all the way home? What if they get to be the starter and magic happens and just keeping your eyes and ears open for those types of scenarios.
1: Absolutely. And now transitioning to quarterback. This was a quarterback top-heavy class. There were, uh, you know, in Debbie, Deshaun Watson was the number one quarterback in Debbie for pretty much his entire college career. He was the ultimate, was going to be the first guy taken. It ended up being Mitch Trubisky. (laughs) Uh, And and again, a one-hit wonder at North Carolina. He went second overall, and the Bears traded up to get to him. And in this class, with all the talent, Man, does it just, you want to talk about somebody wishing they could redo. I'm sure the Bears wish they could go back to this class and take either Deshaun Watson or Patrick Mahomes. Well, at least Mahomes, they traded up for him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and that doubly hurts. Mahomes went 10th overall to Kansas City. We know what his story has written so far. And then Deshaun Watson ended up 12th overall in the first round. So three first round quarterbacks, all with pretty good, fairly good, Pedigree and buzz. Deshaun Watson had the most buzz, and in superflex drafts, even though Trubisky went first, most of the time, Deshaun, it, Mitch Trubisky went first in the NFL, but Deshaun Watson was still going first in most rookie superflex. He was the one hundred one. He was no later than one hundred three, one hundred four. Guys like Patrick Mahomes and Mitch Trubisky, but Trubisky at times, because Mahomes was going to be sitting behind Alex Smith for at least a little bit of time, most people were taking Trubisky over Mahomes, and Mahomes would slide to that later 8th, 9th, 10th. And with with all the running back talent and even the perceived wide receiver talent, again, you want to talk about... (sighs) He had a decent profile... But I even said on the UTH podcast, he needs to sit. He came from an air raid offense in college. He needs to learn the nuances of playing quarterback in the NFL. And I, I even said the same thing for Mitch Trubisky. He really needs to sit. There was no, no chance he was going to, go in Chicago with the way that their, their team was. Um, but Patrick Mahomes was by far the steal of this draft.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I remember how high he was going, whether it was redraft or just the perception in Dynasty after that first season where they were going to move on from Alex Smith. We really saw Mahomes for, I think, one game uh, late in the season. Then Alex Smith was the one that uh, ended up going through in the postseason. I think that was the one where the Chiefs were up big. Was that? Wait, I'm trying to think. Didn't uh, Alex Smith play Deshaun Watson? Or something, and there was like a they were up like three touchdowns or something in the first half, and I think that's the year I'm thinking of. But Alex Smith had a lead, and then they lost it uh, there in the postseason. But the Mahomes, he's going to be the starter with Andy Reid the next year. But it was very much an unknown of what's going to happen, and I, you know, not many projected greatness, even though he was going relatively high going into that second season just based on conjecture, based on projection. And we know the story since. I mean, he's pretty much been a top five guy um, every single year in the four seasons since. Deshaun Watson was a guy that showed promise year one. He was dominant for two or three years and then obviously sat out this past year. And uh, we're actually... This week uh, is going to be when the grand jury meets and we're going to get Moving towards clarity, uh, talking with Jordan McNamara, just on some of the mechanations that are coming down the pipeline in the next few weeks of getting some clarity on where we stand with this. And obviously NFL teams are still in that, that window of, you know, will they, won't they uh, trade for Deshaun Watson? And we kind of get a better sense of when will he be playing again, or what is his status going forward? Uh, but yeah, I mean, three guys in the top 12, you love that. And just one guy uh, before six, 96 overall, and that was Deshaun Geiser, who, Bombed out. Uh, It has almost been a a punchline in terms of his futility when he actually has has played. Um, I will note here one: a
1: whole lot of there wasn't a whole lot of buzz on him in rookie drafts. People would take him, and there were some later round quarterbacks, but nobody was. Chad Kelly was one of those that people were speculating because of the bloodline with uh, being Jim Kelly's nephew and his. Off-field issues were what really drove him down NFL draft boards, and that's why he got drafted in the seventh. But there was an open position in Denver, so there was some people taking shots on Chad Kelly, I remember. I also remember getting Patrick Mahomes in that second year before he became the true starter. I'd get him in startup drafts anywhere, eighth to tenth round, and that was a huge steal. Again, with the speculation, nobody knew for sure, Until he took over the team, and then you could see what he could do. But here's the other interesting fact. And for those that have stashed Deshaun Watson, hopefully his legal troubles go away fairly soon because he's no slouch. These two guys were absolute studs and almost identical numbers. Deshaun Watson has started 54 regular season games, Patrick Mahomes, 63. 35% of the time, Watson's been a top five fantasy producer, and 40% of the time, Patrick Mahomes has been a top five fantasy producer. As far as top 12, it goes, edge goes to Watson. 69% of the time, he has been a top 12, a a quarterback one. 65% of the time for Patrick Mahomes. And then 91% of the time, he's been (laughs) at least a QB two. And that's Watson. Mahomes, 95% of the time. Those two are bona fide studs. They're right.
0: Th- well, I think a lot of people forget that about Watson. You know, time, time makes people forget. Exactly. So,
1: and so if you he get was a chance, right there, if yeah. you get a chance right now to buy him while he's still got these legal troubles, I'm could sure be, could be 10 price, or 12. Yeah. It's nowhere near the price of Patrick Mahomes. And yet yeah. it, when he comes back, if he comes back, and I believe that he will be back, just a question of when. When he comes back. He's had two less years of, or one year, two less years of wear and tear on his body.
0: He's still in his 20s, for goodness sake. Exactly. Exactly. Even even if you play Doomsday and he misses this entire season, two straight seasons, he's going to be like 28 years old in 2023 or something. It's unbelievable how young he is and the fact that he's been a, a double hit and then some of saying, you know, and again, he was earmarked at Clemson already. And he got strong pedigree. This isn't somebody that, that came out of the ether. He's had this profile for since he was what 19 to 20 years old. So he's been on this track and he was the one in the model that graded out the best um, of everybody. Uh, I will say at least Trubisky, Mahomes, and Watson all had mobility to their profile. They, are, they all checked the requisite boxes of size and production. So uh, while uh, again, Trubisky is the glaring miss and we, and few were projecting that when the college football season ended and he was a win hit wonder, and there was risk attached to that compared to Watson. And then the arm talent of Mahomes of what he could become, um, that, and, and that was the big surprise. I think the, the big thing it was, it, it was Trubisky going first, but it was also that he was going, uh, over Deshaun Watson, you know, so, so fervently where quarterbacks go early was the, wow, you know, that, that Watson, falling to 12, quote unquote. um, And Trubisky was a a trade-up candidate there in the top three. Um, Yeah. And like you said, there was just not really good depth in this one. Nick Mullins carved a little bit of a niche. This was the uh, Taysom Hill year as well. Started the uh, long-term stashing of what he could become with uh, Sean Payton there with the Saints. And then the other one I would say is Cooper Rush. Shout out to him because He's carved a backup role and he had a a nice, was it one to two games with Dallas this past year? He was in the 2017 class as well and someone that he stuck around and it was just awesome. To see, you know, not that he's going to necessarily work out or become anything down the line, but it, I'll just say, Katie, that, that Cowboys game where he started and had a comeback win and played well that whole game. I can't remember who they played this year. That was those types of stories when a lot of times you get these backup or no name quarterbacks into the game and just it turns into an S show. The fact when it doesn't, it almost feels movie like, and it's really awesome to see. And that was Cooper Rush's past year.
1: Yep. So, just to put a bow on this uh, 2017 class, we knew it was going to be strong. We knew it was going to be deep. There were a lot of decisions to be made. And I regret every Corey Davis over <laughs> Christian McCaffrey that I never ever, again, right? that I never never, ever, ever took. Right. And all of the wide receivers in this particular class ended up being subpar. So if you've got a strong running back class, just keep pounding that position, take what's given to you, keep pounding the position. Wide receivers I've found are so easy to uh, either procure or find late gems that are good enough. Um, if you start three wide receivers, I, I get it, but the, the whole thing is, well, you've got to get
0: you have to get wide receiver exactly right, right? You can't yeah. you can't nuance it, right? You can't get a guy that ends up settling at wide receiver like you know 20 to 30, you know, for, for two or three years in his rookie contract. That that is if you pass on running backs with profiles, that's probably a, a an easy loss if that's right. the wide receiver outcome. Let me ask you this. We we know the results, so it's it's right. gonna be really tough to to unplug like this. But if you were redrafting just based on what the profiles were and the draft position was and the position they play independent of the result. So Corey Davis, again, for all we know, he could have turned out like Jamar Chase or you know, some guys that have worked out. That's within the scope of outcomes for a guy of his profile and drafted as high as he was. But in retrospect, it sounds like you put him behind Christian McCaffrey because he was top 10. Do you put him behind Mixon and Cook, for example, because they were top 50 picks with good profiles at running back? I don't, the, think
1: the okay. I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can. And uh, that's going to be the unfortunate. We don't have so three. So you're going to put them at three.
0: It should have been at. Fournette and McCaffrey, then Corey Davis, and right. then the other running backs. Okay.
1: Right. And and as you mentioned, there was just as much of a chance and an opportunity for Corey Davis to be an alpha. He sure. was. There was no strong alpha wide receivers on Tennessee at that time. So he had the opportunity to come in and be the the alpha dog. He had the profile, he had the size, he had the speed. He he was a a, a good prospect.
0: Also, what wow. do you think about round one? It, obviously, and round
1: run, and the round one pedigree too.
0: Well, well, the round one tight ends. What do you think is is there a lesson or is this just a a, a tough beat? Is this a tough loss with how the first round tight ends actually worked out? Now, no, the price point wasn't. Uh, cost prohibitive in the late first round, early second. But is the round one tight end where you say the positional value, how, much, how high do they have to work out and within the first year or two to make passing, even on Kareem Hunt, who was a day two running back with a lot of positives to his profile. Juju Schmidt-Schuster was an elite profile and yes, he was day two. But do you say that in retrospect, you fade tight ends beyond profiles like that?
1: I think it was a bad beat okay but but I also think that what this whole exercise is showing me proving to me if you if if there's a clear one oh one, I think it's worth trading up to get the one one in that draft class um, but marginal move ups from you know, the 201, or you're trading a veteran player to get the 108 because you're in love with Juju Smith-Schuster and his profile or Evan Ingram and his profile, that's where you're sinking more cost. If you earned the 108, take your shot. But if you trade it up and you're paying extra, you better get it right. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) You know, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing. And same thing in their second and third years in startup drafts. If you're pushing them up on speculation alone over guys that have produced, that's really on you if they don't hit.
0: Yeah. And going back, just one other final point for me is going to be the, hey, good day three profiles at running back. Don't discount those. Because you don't get them all the time and you don't get them in droves. And we had a number of them that were high quality in this class that were available between the late second and even the fourth round of rookie drafts and just stash, stash, stash. And 2017 was not the the heyday like the past couple of years of just, hey, running backs that are good enough and, and could carve roles value those value those and try to be lean, leaner and meaner at at wide receiver and don't have three or four tight ends at a start one there's not you know a big point to that have a plan to exit have a plan to not be over over bloated and overzealous with your roster spots at quarterback and start ones and tight end and start ones and and allocate those spots and that would make it more accessible to get guys like Aaron Jones or get guys like Jamal Williams on your roster or Marlon Max uh you know that that had good profiles that you want to see how the first year or two turn out and frankly guys like that you already saw enough reason that you would have been holding within that span of time and and so that's the thing to be really sensitive and I think that does apply to 2022 just in as a little a little look ahead because there are some guys that may not get top 100 pedigree here in this class that have very good and intriguing profiles of saying, I want to be in the allocation business to see how this first season and next off season go for a player that I think could be an injury away guy and have upside from there. Uh, Katie, I uh, wanted to get some quick reaction uh, from you. What, what are uh, one or two things from the the NFL combine? Because we, we had so much to, to pack into this show, but the combine, it feels like it was a month ago and yet it was only a few days ago. I mean, we had burning up times. We had some guys that, that uh, did not work out. And what was your, what were some of your thoughts that about either specific players or positional groups or tying it back into the this uh, flashback series that we are doing, looking at rookie classes.
1: Yeah. I'll talk more about this when we get to our 22 class, but I was a little bit disappointed. I know that Charlie Casserly was gone, but the, the hand timer and then the official time were so far off in some cases that I don't know that I trust it. Yes, there was a lot of speed, but running speed fast in a straight line is so different, especially at wide receiver. You look at guys like John Ross, you look at the majority of guys that run fast in a straight line. They haven't necessarily been high producers in the NFL. Um, They're very boom bust. So we'll see. We'll see what the draft pedigree is. I'm looking forward to that. I was a little disappointed, but understandably that Jamison Williams didn't get a chance to work out because he's been hurt. And I was very disappointed that Matt Corral wasn't there at least throwing. And I think he's just trying to overcome that ankle injury, or at least that's what he says. Um, We got to see Kenny Pickett with his two gloves on because of his small Chad hands, eight and a half inch hands. But um, I'm not all that high on Kenny Pickett going in anyway. This is a very weak quarterback class and I didn't see enough, really from from the quarterbacks at the combine to get excited about one over another I do like Sam Howell I think he's going to be a value in drafts this year because people are even talking about Desmond Ritter now as a top wide uh top quarterback in the NFL draft and maybe the the QB2 off the board if Malik Willis and Desmond Ritter go first and second and Sam Howell is late first man that's going to be a huge value in rookie drafts I think
0: Yeah, I think wide receiver, you said wide receivers don't define the class. And it feels like we're moving in the direction of wide receivers defining the class and just being a high population, high density of round one of rookie drafts, whether it's super flex or not. And and I think that is going to be a an interesting scenario to see if you mix in maybe a couple of running backs, maybe there's a quarterback or two, but tight ends aren't going to be in the mix. And if that's the case, you're talking about seven, eight wide receivers possible in the first round of rookie drafts, and that's going to be applying to what you just said about 2017, which is: is there an arbitrage here? Who's the the cheaper guys? Is there really that much of a difference? Should I be trading up for the that guy that was wide receiver two off the board versus wide receiver five? I think these are key questions for folks to have uh, a judgment on. And like you said, there was a lot of guy. There were a lot of guys that. You know their lower weight. We're kind of building a different wide receiver in a lot of these aspects for the, today's NFL. And this year they all flew at the combine. Well, well, frankly, if you weigh 180 pounds, you should fly. So yeah. let's not, I mean, you know, and 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 now I think I do think one one thing that I brought up on another show is, you know, David Bell is looking around going, you know, he's a he's a guy that just went out there and produced. And yet, he didn't run the time people wanted. He didn't blend in with everybody else running four four zero and four three five. So, I wonder if he's going to get lost a little bit. I, I just do of fading down the NFL draft board, but also fading down dynasty consciousness. And I wonder. I mean, even though folks might say right now, "Oh yeah, if it's two zero two, I'll draft David Bell." Really? You really will? Because I don't know if that's going to happen in May because he he might go to the third round of the NFL draft, and you're going to draft a guy that ran six four six. Okay, that doesn't sound like the dynasty dynasty marketplace I know. (laughs) So I mean, that is Juju Smith-Schuster minus minus because Juju had a lot more perks than David Bell as a prospect, as a Devy sort of you know just as a guy coming up into the NFL pipeline. So that's going to be I think David Bell is going to be a really interesting player along with Justin Ross and a few of these others because they may not run the blazing time ever during this process, and they're they're not projected to be first round picks either. And there could be a lot of first-round wide receivers. Uh, and then one final thing is, is we got Aaron Rodgers staying. We've got Russell Wilson going uh, with a, a big trade. Uh, what were your thoughts? Uh, is, is there a, a takeaway for you with the changing quarterback landscape, even though Rodgers technically isn't changing? We, we still had uncertainty.
1: No, I, I think it's great for the Packers. I'm glad that they locked him up. Interesting trade. Wilson to the Broncos, they've got all the pieces in place. Uh, they've got a great defense. They've got a great young offense. So why not try to go for the gold a la the Rams model? You don't have very many shots, very many opportunities. While you got the team in place before you start having to lose players to free agency, make that splash, splash the pot. And that's what they did. I'm a little disappointed that Noah Fant now ends up in Seattle. That'll be interesting for him, but I'm excited for Albert O oh and the opportunities there but there's so many different players it'll be interesting to see how Russ Wilson distributes the ball.
0: Yeah, and I kind of wonder it seems like because he's younger and he has first round pedigree that it's it's all Jerry Judy all the time. And I wonder if if the answer is anything but Jerry Judy, it's going to be really interesting. You know, and that includes the team really likes Tim Patrick the team brought back Cortland Sutton. The team has Albert O, who is an elite prospect. Another one like you know a George Kittle type If you say, he went day three, but still, uh, he had a profile that was better than that, you would say, for, for those purposes. They got KJ Hamler, who's a little like Tyler Lockett. So there's a lot of ways this can go. And if you just say he's going to lift the tide, it's going to be interesting if the whole dynasty community is on one player or centrically on one player versus the field and Russell Wilson can help everybody to some level or increase their breakout chances of a, of a bigger year. And, and who's to say they're not, like you said, good defense. They could have a good running game. Who's to say Russ isn't going to cook. Maybe he's still going to be set on simmer with maybe the volume that we've wanted to see go up and up in Seattle, but never really did. It'd be interesting. Uh, all right, Katie, massive show 2017, frankly, deserved it though. And we've got 2018 next week, which frankly, 14. 17, 18. These were huge dynasty building block zones of time for startup drafts, rookie drafts, and we're going to hit it in 2018 in the Wayback Machine for next week. So I wanted to thank Katie once again for putting this together. If you want to find her between episodes, you can do that at FF underscore Skyler 399 on Twitter. I want to remind you if you want some premium shows beyond this weekly show, you can find it at uthdynasty.com. Going through a number of, you know, I, I did recaps on every single skill position from the combine zone. You're going to hear more and more content about profiles and about finding the right fits. And we're going to diagnose cost uh, for rookie draft and profiles because that is a key one for your dynasty team building coming up in the next couple of months. I'm Chad Parsons, she is Katie Flower. Until next time, never settle, refuse to be average and keep building those dynasties. Get you Nick Chubb or Leonard Fournette? I mean, that is You have Carlos Williams now. But I don't Why care. would you want to wait for Fournette? I don't understand. Rewind to week eight of the NFL season. <laughs> like, you should tell this little paragraph story of how James Conner is wide receiver to...